welcome to the Bullcast Podcast. I'm Katie Pickler, and with me, as always, is Court Winsett. Hello! Oh, did you hear that opening bell? <laughs> it, it had a majestic sound to it. It was just that classic, old, powerful. It's, it's like the, the Liberty Bell or something. Like the Liberty Bell. Because we're talking, we're talking, we're talking, we're going to get into some, some, some roots today. I get to nerd out, basically. I get to completely oh, nerd ladies out. ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your seatbelts. Hold on. We are going nerd out with court today. Yes, but only for a little bit. Only for a second. I promise <laughs> I'm not going to go too long, but um, today we are actually going to talk about the Federal Reserve. Oh, bum, bum, bum. I know everybody wants to hear about the Federal Reserve. Hopefully we will make it interesting. But, you know, it's one of those things... Politicians, uh, financiers, everybody, t- those those types of people talk about it a lot. Um, they tweet about it. They, you know, they're they're literally waiting with bated breath to see what the Fed is going to say and what the Fed is going to do. But the rest of us are like, okay, what the heck is the Federal Reserve, and why should I care what the Fed's saying? Exactly. It's interesting because. They're extremely powerful. You must be pretty powerful to, to have so many people paying such close attention to what you do. But for as powerful... I mean, celebrities have it all the time, so are they powerful? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, the thing is, for as powerful as the Fed is, that you know, you, you don't talk about them nearly as much as you do, say, you know, the President of the United States or um, the Queen of England or something like that. Meghan Markle. Yeah, Meghan Markle, exactly. See? And, I mean, you know, people, you could say Meghan Markle is a very powerful person. I mean, she basically almost single-handedly toppled the monarchy. (laughs) But this episode is not about that. No, it is not. It's about the Federal Reserve. But uh, in honor of the power of the Federal Reserve, we're going to do a top five today that is all about the top five most powerful people in the world. You have your opinion, and I have mine, and we're going to see how it shakes out. Doctor Evil. So, okay, why don't we uh, why don't we start with um, your top five? Who are your top five most powerful people in the world? Okay, um, number one, Pope Francis. I think a lot of people can agree the Pope is very powerful. Sure, got a lot of money. The Vatican is rich. Um, a lot of people care, you know, the opinion, everything, what to do. So very powerful. Hang on everything he says. Yeah. Exactly. Number two, Bill Gates. Yes. Enough well, of course. said. I mean, he's just rich. <laughs> and I mean, he's, what, he's single-handedly rid the world of polio? Is that the one? I, I can't remember. He's, he, he, he basically made it his mission to get rid of a disease and then did it. So Very cool. Yeah, kudos. Uh, number three, Larry Page, the co-founder of Google. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alphabet. Yeah, we, everyone pretty much uses some form of Google in yeah. some way. And so you got to thank Larry Page. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one, number four, would be good old Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> you know, of that course. guy. Yeah, why not? He is he is a powerful, powerful man. Uh, and my last one, I uh, <laughs> have to pick it myself for this one. Um, although Jimmy Buffett is extremely powerful, spreading I mean, the cheer of Margaritaville absolutely. and all of that. He's got restaurants named after named after him. He's got big old like things that you can jump on in the ocean and have fun and he's actually building retirement communities now. But being serious, I mean Warren Buffett. Okay. Yes. Yeah. He's a okay. uh, he is of course uh, he is I don't know. I think of 
Do you remember the commercials back in the, I don't know, 80s maybe, 80s or 90s? E.F. Hutton, when he talks, people listen. Have you, do yes. you remember those commercials? Yep. Okay, well, that's kind of the way I think of when I, when I think about Warren Buffett. I'm like, yeah, Warren Buffett, when he talks, people listen. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's got an empire built entirely on his investment prowess, basically. I mean, I will throw a fun one in there, Mickey Mouse. Well, okay, so you, you get to throw in Mickey Mouse. I wanted my list to include um, He-Man. Because, ah. I mean, you know, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power. Of course, He-Man was probably a little bit before you and Cameron. Because He-Man was actually He-Man big is. when I was a kid. So, But, I mean, for me, like, like, He-Man she- is She-Ra. She-Ra? Yeah. 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 So, uh, he, but since we're doing real people, I couldn't include We're being He-Man. real on this, yeah. yes. Okay, so you had a lot of business people. I've got I've got a business person that I that I put on my list. That's, um, of course, Jeff Bezos or Bezos. I can't. I, I don't know how you pronounce that. You can make fun of me if you want to. Do you know how to pronounce it? <laughs> I don't, so okay. I'm not going to try. Okay, never mind. Amazon founder, one of the wealthiest people in the world. Although I can't. I, I, we were discussing this beforehand. I, I cannot remember right now if he's the richest or if uh, Elon Musk has actually surpassed him and stayed past him. I know they were like jockeying for position there for a while. But anyway, he's rich. He's Lots of money. obviously the head of, of Amazon and Amazon is all powerful. I mean, Amazon is like, you know, they just they, great power, they do everything. great responsibility. Uh, but other than Bezos or Bezos... Uh, the rest of my list is pretty much politicians. I mean, you know, obviously you, you, you've got your, your power, what I think of as your sort of your powerful nation. So like the British pot prime minister, which right now is uh, Boris Johnson. Yep. Um, the, the guy that, what is his name? Um, number, number three would be uh, Modi. I think his name is uh, Narendra Modi. He's uh, he's the he's the I don't know what they call him. I don't know if they call him like the president or the prime minister, but he's the leader of India, okay. which, of course, is one of the most populous nations yeah. in the world. So he's kind of a big deal. Uh, then you got, you know, you got obviously we can't leave out the president of the United States. So, I mean, you know, that's a that's a that's a number two. But actually, I think the probably in my in my humble opinion, I am H.O., the most powerful person in the world. I'm going to say Xi Jinping, the the, um, the 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 basically the head of the Communist Party of China, uh, the leader of China. He's uh, he's. I mean, you that know, makes sense. Yeah. So there's my top five. Uh, number one, I, and I, I don't need hate mail because I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that I like the guy or that China is awesome and, and America stinks, but I'm just saying right now he's kind of in a very very powerful position. I mean, you're talking about a country that's got an enormous population. The economy is, um, you know, they're, they're, they've been fighting to try and overtake us as the number one economy in the world. So you know, they're, he's 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 got a lot, he's got a lot of strength. Now, so yeah, I was gonna say. So here's the thing: why are we talking about these people? And it's because we've got so many powerful people you think about in the world. And really, power is in the eye of the beholder. It's what their power of doing overall. If it is the economy, is it power of influence over people? Because then you've got the whole like celebrity part of it all. Mm-hmm. But one name that never seems to be on people's list. Yeah. Who is that? That is Jerome Powell. Who? Jerome Powell. 
Actually, according to his uh, Wikipedia profile, he uh, he goes by Jay. I did not know that. Oh, okay. I've always called him Jerome. I feel much like closer to him now because yeah, I, yeah. there's a nickname. I'm gonna call him Jay. But so, Jerome Powell. Jerome Powell. He, he is he is the chair of the uh, board of governors of the Federal Reserve. Um, Quite yeah. possibly one of the most powerful people in the world. I mean, listen, during if if you have noticed nothing else in the past year, notice you must have felt, everybody out there in listening land, you must have felt just exactly how linked all of our economies are worldwide now. And when you're talking about someone who is basically in charge of making sure that the number one economy in the world thrives... And his decisions can affect not only our economy, but just the entire world's economies, all of them. If you're a visual person like me, then it's, you picture the house of cards and you picture like literally cards and house and like, it's all relying on each other to make sure it's staying together. Mm -hmm. I do want to put a disclaimer out here. We, we are talking about Jerome Powell. We're talking about the Federal Reserve on this episode. There are so many different things, different components within Jerome and what he does, or Jay, is that what we're calling him Jay, now? Jay, we're calling him Jay. Between what Jay does and what the actual Federal Reserve does. So we're telling you this is extremely high level. We're oh, just yeah. going to skim the surface on this mm-hmm. because we do not want to have to have a eight-hour podcast to try and even touch on everything that Jay does and the Federal Reserve does. Yeah, and so we're going to be we're going to sort of be giving you the that 30,000 uh, 30, foot view of the uh, of the Federal Reserve. The reason that we wanted to do this is because you need to understand why you should care about the Federal Reserve and about what it does, because they directly impact you. They directly impact your pocketbook. On and a, on a and we're doing basis. this because, I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I've grown up around this and I've heard like, oh, we should care what the Fed's doing and what the chairman is saying, but I didn't really understand why. And so this was our example of let's educate you guys. I want to take this time to kind of pull you in and get you to really understand why you should listen to this and understand about this. Reasons of what the Federal Reserve and our good old buddy Jay, why they matter to you. If you're looking to take out a loan, a loan of any kind, any kind at all, you want to know the value of your money and make sure that when you're traveling around understanding what that dollar value is, you want to make sure your money has a greater purchasing power. You want to know if you're investing. Hey, do you buy goods? Do you, I mean, are you someone who shops? It all matters. Are you a potential home buyer? Do you have a retirement account? Are you looking at your different investments? Are you seeking employment or do you currently work? And do you want to start a business or do you own a business? Those are just some simple little nuggets of why you should care and how the Federal Reserve is affecting us. So let's start out with the basic definition. Definition of the Federal Reserve and a brief history. So from our good old friends at Wikipedia. Yeah. The Federal Reserve System is the central banking system of the United States of America. Okay. So that's pretty simple, right? Yeah. Big central bank. But, you know, this is not this is not to be confused with like this isn't Bank this of America. This isn't SunTrust this or anything. Isn't, yeah. yeah, this isn't Wells Fargo. This is a, this is a public private entity. It's it's sort of a combination public private entity, but it is the central banking system. It's not just like when you think of the Federal Reserve, it's not a building somewhere. This is a system that that that's both centralizes and regionalizes the banks, the interaction of all of the banks of the country. It's interesting the way they set it up, basically. 
Absolutely. So it's built up of seven members of the Board of Governors with 14-year staggering terms, 12 Federal Reserve banks under this whole big thing. So it's 12 yeah. banks that are spread out across the United States. Like, for instance, we live in uh, we live in the western part of Tennessee. Our, our area falls under the Federal Reserve Bank that is in St. Louis. Louis. Yep. I happen um, to know someone very close who uh, works for the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Mm. Uh, but the Federal Reserve System didn't start until 1913. It was the first, not the first time that America toyed with the idea of a central bank. No, it wasn't. Okay, so this is where I get to nerd out, right? <laughs> oh, well, I've let you go so many episodes without talking about him. <laughs> Here's your turn. Okay, goody. Um, okay, so the Federal Reserve System is actually the third iteration of a central banking system for the United States. The very first iteration came around in 1791. The uh, the the Bank of the United States, the first Bank of the United States. Although I doubt very seriously at the time they called it the first Bank of the United <laughs> States. They probably just called it the Bank of the United States. It was championed by my hero Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> and and the course, rest of the podcast has been taken over by Hamilton. <laughs> of course, uh, of course, fighting against the idea of the uh, the. Bank of the United States were the those enemies of Hamilton's Madison and Jefferson. They fought it, uh, but uh, Hamilton did ultimately, based on his championing of the bank, he it was founded. Congress chartered the Bank of the United States. It was given a twenty year charter. Um, Hamilton wanted it because he wanted to. Effectively, the, the the reason Hamilton wanted it is because there was there was debt that resulted from the American Revolution, and so he wanted to consolidate and pay all of that debt that had been incurred by the states during the Revolution. He wanted to consolidate all of that and get it all paid off. He wanted a system for managing the banking overall, and he also wanted a uniform currency. And so those were his pushes. Those were his reasons for having this central bank that was actually you know the bank of the United States, uh, and he won. And he did manage to consolidate the debt and get the debt paid off, and the bank was doing really well. But by the time its charter, its 20-year charter rolled around and uh, it was up for renewal, Congress didn't renew it because there was a, an overarching sort of attitude uh, in opposition That's to rude. the bank. Well, I mean, it, you know, it happened. And it's funny, when I was a kid, I actually learned about uh, the Hamilton and the Bank of the United States. And okay, so your Hamilton love goes back to when you were a kid. I mean, I, I remember in, I want to say it was like the fourth grade, learning about Hamilton and, and the Bank of the United States. And in, the, in my fourth grade social studies textbook, it was very much made out like this was a huge failure on Hamilton's part. But, I mean, the system uh, of that centralized bank, the, 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 the entire... American economy, in large part, was sort of fostered and helped along by Hamilton in those early days. So what happened when Congress didn't renew? Did it just all go away? Yeah. Well, basically, yeah. The first bank, uh, the building is still there. There was actually literally a Bank of the United States building in Philadelphia. It's still there. But the bank itself, it lost its charter and it, it basically closed. Moving forward a few a few years after that, there was um, actually calls for the second bank of the United States. It was founded Very in, original. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was founded in 1816. Okay. And so I think it's funny that it was founded in 1816 because the president of the United States, when the second bank of the United States was founded, was Madison, who ah. had actually fought against 
the Bank of the United States back in 1791 when Hamilton was trying to get it done. But this time, you know, Congress passed it, a new charter for a new Bank of the United States, and Madison was the one that actually signed it and, and you know, signed it into, into existence. So uh, I guess he must have changed his tune. But uh, it was, again, another 20-year charter. And at the end of its 20-year charter, there was a push against having this centralized bank. But Americans have always really sort of mistrusted the idea of the centralized power and banking, you know, bankers having having this centralized power. And so um, Andrew Jackson, a Tennessean, uh-huh. was uh, actually campaigning for his second term as president. And he campaigned very much on the idea of defeating or, or closing down the Bank of the United States. And he won uh, on that platform. And so he he spent his second term basically effectively defunding the Bank of the United States, taking all of the federal funds out of the second bank uh, and, and moving them into a different institution. And then when it came time for the second bank's charter to be renewed, there really wasn't any reason to renew it, but it, it was defeated handily. We spent basically the latter half of that uh, of that century, the 1800s, after the second bank was closed, we spent without a central bank, which is just crazy to think about. Yeah, well, it, it was it was known as like the free banking era or something like that. I can't remember exactly what they call it, but it, I mean, it was very much just sort of yay, go America, free banks, everybody, you know, the yeah. government stays out of our business. Very, very American, sort of this idea that we don't need those stinking central bank, <laughs> stinking batches. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it wasn't until. We had a very, very regular recurring problem in like the late uh, 19th century, early 20th century. Uh, And that was bank runs. Mm -hmm. Basically where... Oh yeah, this is the George Bailey story from It's a Wonderful Life. Run on the bank. Absolutely. Uh, But I mean, long before the Great Depression and that particular bank run, um, it was a regular thing that happened often in... The uh, like late 1800s, early 1900s, and one particularly bad one happened in 1907 that caused Congress to go like, basically, when I say bank run, I'm talking about people go into the bank because they, they're worried that their money isn't going to be there. And it was panic. So they, yeah, they, they would, they were panicked. They would go to the bank to get their money out and the banks would fail because they didn't have enough money to cover all of the deposits that, that people had placed with them. So banks would end up failing. Yeah, again, watch that George Bailey clip in It's a Wonderful Life, and that is that is the run on the bank. That's yeah. the panic of him like pulling his honeymoon money out, trying to make sure he's covering ends. It was uh, it was it was a disaster, but it, you know they, it wasn't anything on the on the level of the Great Depression. But it was it was a disaster, and it caused Congress to go, "Hey, we need to look at at, at some long term solutions to this because it hasn't just happened once; it's happened several times." 1907 was particularly bad. 1908, let's charter a committee. So Congress did what Congress does, and they formed a committee to figure out what to do to to address the problem. And the committee basically came back and said, "Let's have a central bank." Uh, <laughs> oh, going back to what yeah, Hamilton did <laughs> exactly. Uh, but the committee's initial suggestion was, "Let's have a central bank." that the banks, like all of your your major banks, will put people in charge of this central bank. So basically, all of the banks that were around at the time will put those bankers in charge of this central bank. And so there was a, 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 a section that 
did not like the idea of having bankers who they didn't trust be in charge of a central bank, which the concept of they also didn't trust. Mm-hmm. So from 1908 and from that committee's recommendation to have this central bank, it didn't just get settled right away because people were fighting against it. Basically, ultimately, there was a compromise and it wasn't until a Democrat, the Republicans were the ones that that suggested the initial central banking idea. Mm-hmm. So then it was a big old power struggle. Yeah, big, big power struggle. It wasn't until a Democrat actually won the presidential office uh, when... 1912, Woodrow Wilson was elected. He was a Democrat. It was after he was elected that they actually got something passed, the Federal Reserve Act, and he signed it into law in 1913. And what it was, was what the Federal Reserve System is, is kind of a compromise of what the Republican committee originally suggested. This idea of a central bank peopled and and, and run by bankers. Well, instead what we have is it is a it is a public private institution so it is actually a private institution but it it is it has board members that are appointed by the president it has you know it it is the bank of the united states so it holds the funds of our government so it's got those those public aspects to it but it also has ownership and the ownership of the federal reserve banks those 12 banks that we mentioned at the beginning, the ownership of those 12 banks is the what we personally think of as banks. When we talk about banks, you know, when we talk about SunTrust and, and, and Wells Fargo and whatever, like that, independent, yeah. those banks own shares of the Federal Reserve banks. So it, it is a private institution in that sense because private corporations own shares of mm-hmm. this, this other institution. But it is public in, in the sense that it has appointments made by the President of the United States, confirmed by Congress. So in a way, it is answerable to politicians, but it is supposed to be an apolitical system. It is not supposed to be a, a system that basically once, once the president appoints you to the board, you're on the board. There is a method for removal, but the president can't just go fire you. As many times yeah. as I saw the, President Trump tweet that he wanted, you know, Jay Powell gone because he was raising interest rates, he couldn't actually fire Jay Powell, you know. Yeah. So once you're on it, you're you're pretty much on it. It's a 14-year term. And, you know, if you're appointed as the chairman, as Jerome Powell has been, then you've got a four-year term and you're on it. So you're not, once you're appointed, you're not answerable to those same political Yeah, it's pressures. not something that we're going to the polls and we're electing this person. Right. But uh, I do want to throw in, I saw a little clip and it's compared the Fed to the game Monopoly, which I think most of us have all played Monopoly before. And when you are picking your people, you pick the banker out of your group of people to be the most trustworthy person. That's the one that you feel is going to do the best job, have the best interest of everybody. And so that's kind of, you look at it, the Fed is the banker of the Monopoly game. And so it may be that you look at, Fed is the banker for the Monopoly game. All these individual banks are the players, a part of it. Just to, I, I, I like throwing my fun little popcorn. No, 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 no. <laughs> Believe me, because I was, I was just thinking to myself, oh my god, I've, I've, I've probably bored everybody at this point. Court, court nerd time is now over. So it's been around since 1913. Yes, and you know, one of the things that that it was meant to do was to to stop these panic runs on banks, but then. 
in the 1930s or 1929, 1930, when there was a panicked run on the banks because of the, the stock market crash, they didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. They, they, they were there. They, they were in a position where they could have probably bailed out some banks and they didn't. And we, what resulted was the Great Depression. So what you're saying is they haven't always been perfect. <laughs> they haven't, but they did do some great things. Uh, more recently, they did what they were supposed to do in 2008 when we had that big problem. Yeah, if you it remember was, about the whole housing bubble, yeah. we talked about all that episode. Because, I mean, if the Fed had not acted at that point, it could have completely destroyed everything. Yeah. And and although we'll get a little bit more into the specifics, just to, to sign up, kind of put it in lay terms, what they basically did was pump a whole lot of money into the economy. And that's what saved it. You know, they, they were they were bailing out banks. They were loaning major institutions huge sums of money. They were, you know, they were doing everything that they could to pump money into our economy to make sure that the economy stayed afloat. And they did it in 2008. And then they did it again uh, with the, basically this this in 2020 with the with everything that was going on with the crisis because of covid. Uh, the economy basically shut down because everybody was told to stay home. And so long before Congress passed any sort of bailout measures, uh, the Fed had already been acting to try and keep the economy or pump the economy back up by pumping money into the economy. And I know right now you're going, well, what do you mean pump money into the economy? We're going <laughs> to explain exactly how the Fed goes about pumping explain money. Explain it to in. me, Lucy. But we're not going to do it yet. Okay. <laughs> so, but, but that, I mean, that, that, the reason that we're all okay right now, basically, financially, those of you out there that are listening to us, the reason you should care about the Fed is because the Fed is what saved our butuskas. Yeah. So, I mean, the Fed was created to accomplish three things. W- what are those three things they were accomplishing? Okay, I said I wasn't going to nerd out, but I'm going to nerd out one more time. I promise. That after that, I'll stop. He so, always nerds out. Okay, so I- I'm just going to read you what a section of the U.S. Code says. The the actual law that, that, that makes the Federal Reserve, I think... It, it will warm my heart to be able to do this, and then I'll let you sort of interpret what it is I'm <laughs> saying. So basically, the Fed was created to accomplish three things. And what the, what the law says is the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System and the Federal Open Market Committee, we'll get to what that is in a little bit, shall maintain long-run growth of the monetary and credit aggregates commensurate with the economy's long-run potential to increase production. Here's the important part so as to promote effectively the goals of maximum employment, stable prices, and moderate long-term interest rates. Okay, so that sounded like my three things of what they're supposed to accomplish. That's the three things. So maximum employment, so maximize jobs available for American labor force. Yeah. Wow. Everybody working. Everybody working. You have a job, thank the Fed. Mm-hmm. Number two, stable prices, mm-hmm. monitor inflation rate, and prevent it from going too high, but also stable prices, meaning preventing deflation. Yeah. So, so they are literally that kind of balancing mm-hmm. act. And you know, the teeter-totter, they're trying to make sure it stays at the nice level. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's another great one. And then three, moderate long-term interest rates. Moderate long-term interest rates means basically, you, you know... You you want everything to be chill and 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 average and just go along. You know you don't want interest rates up in the the twenty four percent or anything like that. You want them to be, you want them to be basically, you know, average, just going along 
interest rates. You so know? really, these three things are you know. It's simple. actually two. The, the 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 moderate interest rates thing is kind of is kind of it's almost like a, a an afterthought, really. Yeah. It's so, I mean, yeah, maximizing employment and stabilizing prices are often referred to as the Fed's dual mandate. Yeah. And so they literally, it's, you picture the teeter-totter or you picture, you know, the balances. You're trying to make sure it stays in balance at all times. Mm -hmm. Okay, easy. Fed, you know, just, you know, just keep it in balance. Easier said than done, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's that dual mandate. But, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's, that's pretty broad. You know, you're, you're talking about... The, what the Fed does is make sure that our prices are stable and make sure that everybody is employed. And that's all. That's the podcast. Thanks, folks. Oh, there's the closing <laughs> bell. No, just kidding. Obviously, it's it's way more complicated than yeah, that. Yeah, so let's talk about what does the Fed actually do? You've talked about pumping money. I'm sure. Let, let's go through this. Okay. What do they do? Okay, well, so first and foremost, they set monetary policy, and you can't see my fingers, but I'm doing the little finger quotes. <laughs> uh, monetary policy, that's that's what affects interest rates, and of course, that impacts the economy. It's mm -hmm. basically monetary policy, what they do to uh, impact interest rates and to affect the overall economy. So, you know, your your financial livelihood is, is based on them setting monetary policy. Okay. They regulate banks. Yes. Okay. So that one's that one's pretty simple. Obviously, banks get up to no good. It is actually the Federal Reserve. If you're if you're a member bank of the Federal Reserve, then the Federal Reserve will slap you on the wrist if they don't think the you're Fed's doing The Fed's the principal's office, like basically, yeah. basically. So, we talked about money. What do they do with money? Okay. Well, so they they're basically in charge for getting the currency out there. The actual currency. Uh, okay. Those, the, the green bills in your wallet. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you have in your wallet. I don't know. I don't have one in my wallet. But if you pull one out of your... If you pull... If you have a dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill, at 20, it doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever number on your currency, if you pull it out of your wallet somewhere on that bill, and it's in a different place on a lot of the different bills, uh, it will say on the bill, very clearly, Federal Reserve Note. Yep. That is our standardized currency. Yeah, and they all, you can tell from each bill which of the 12 it came from. If it mm -hmm. was St. Louis or, you know, different ones like that. And it's really that bill, each of them is unique. I know we've all probably seen movies where people try and counterfeit bills and mm -hmm. all of that. And so, but so is the Fed printing the money? No. No. Okay. no. Actually, I, I, and I had to check to, to confirm this because I wasn't, I, I wasn't sure um, but no, the the mint the 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 mint is actually under the treasury. So the Department of Treasury has the mint. They make the money, and then they basically. This is kind of funny. They they make the dollars and the coins, mm -hmm. and then they sell them to the Federal Reserve at cost. So basically, okay. <laughs> what it actually costs them to print the money and to make the coins, they sell that they they sell they sell it as an as an object, not as actually, you know, it hasn't taken on its monetary value as far as the reserve is concerned. The reserve is just paying them what it costs the mint to print it. <laughs> well, and the reason why I think a lot of us may think that the Fed actually is the one making the money is because we have had several movies like Den of Thieves and I think in Die Hard and all of those that um, you see the Fed, you, they walk into the Federal Reserve Bank and they're trying to steal the money. Well, what is there that a lot of people are trying to get is the money that is 
old that has been considered not well, even quality. the new stuff i mean even the new stuff comes through the fed yeah but they're just not the ones that are making it. Mm -mm. they're just in charge of putting it out there they 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 just are they get the currency out into the into the people's hands and then like you said they take the old stuff up and, they and burn shred it. it yeah but you can buy a nice little bag of shredded cash at the federal reserve bank in st louis <laughs> So we already mentioned they serve as a, the Federal Reserve serves as the bank of the United States. So mm -hmm. if you think about it, you know when Congress is writing checks, they, they, somebody's they somebody's got to yeah somebody's <laughs> got to cash that check or somebody's got to honor that check. We literally the United States keeps its money at the Federal Reserve. Yeah, it's like you, you know us average Joes. We say oh we bank at Independent or we mm -hmm. bank at Wells Fargo. But these politicians, these government officials get to say, we bank at the Fed. Yeah. Anytime, anytime, uh, anytime Congress is writing a check, you know, Congress controls the purse strings. They're the ones who decide what we're, what the country is going to spend money on. And so they write those checks. Well, if you take the Congress's proverbial check to the bank, you're going to take it to the Federal Reserve to cash it. Next, what else do they do? Well, they handle the payments uh, between different banks and different regions. They're the ones really making sure that money's flowing. Yeah. But also a little fun fact if you're like, okay, I don't care, you know, how they're doing that. If you ever electronically pay your bills, you need to thank the Fed. It was their idea. <laughs> I mean, I think all of us now pretty much electronically pay. One day, one day somebody somebody at the Fed was like, I know, electronic bill pay. And people were I'm like, I'm tired of writing checks. Brilliant. Yes. <laughs> But no, the Fed is actually, if you think about it, you've got all these institutions all over the country that are separate. You know, all of these banks are separate. They're owned by different people. They have different accounts. So one person writes a check at this bank and you take it to your bank and you bank at a different bank and your bank will still honor that check. Well, what the, what the Fed does is they're actually the ones that are coordinating between banks to make sure that every bank's checks are getting honored by every other bank's. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's... that's Again, it sounds like a balancing mm -hmm. act. They offer emergency source of liquidity to banks. Yes. So they are the ones that are going to bail these banks out when they need money. Well, like we said, you know, they, they loaned something like 85, I want to say billion dollars to, to one bank back in 2008. Yeah. Uh, because it, it needed the money or it was going to die. And so the Fed was the one that loaned it, loaned it the money. And really the last thing on this list is the reserve fund. So think about it like... If you've listened to our budget episodes, we talk about having that emergency reserve fund. That's that backup money that's kind of a little bit of out of sight, out of mind, but it's there for you when you need it. So they're responsible for making sure they've got that money there available for when it's called upon. Mm -hmm. You think about it with the Federal Reserve, it's kind of like the backbone. It's really, you picture a skeleton. It is the skeleton of a person. It's the true bones part of it. And then everything else, you know, I guess that makes all of us, we're, we're the blood and the skin and I, yeah, okay, maybe yeah, that's, I mean, a, that's kind of a gross graphic, but yeah. it's the backbone. It is without, our, without our skeleton, we're just a big, big blob. blob. So and we need the skeleton. Yeah. We need the Fed. Yeah. Um, what I'm saying with that is, so they have a lot of heat on them. They are, they have a lot of responsibilities, a lot of weight on their shoulders to try and make sure that they are balancing, that they are taking care of things. They are delegating to banks what needs to be done, but they're also trying to make sure that they're protecting cybersecurity wise and make sure that they are protecting not only us in the United States, but if, you know, I made the comment about the house of cards with all these other countries, mm -hmm. they've got to work together. They've all got to make sure they're taking care of each other. And so, you know, it's, 
it's one of those when you're not hearing about the Fed a lot, that's kind of better because they're doing their job. They're not, you know, all in the public eye. They're just that silent partner back there just making sure everything is balancing and flowing. They are the man behind the curtain. They are pulling the strings. They are doing everything to affect the economy, but they just do it behind the scenes. So for the average Joe, let's, why do you care about monetary policy? Let's get to that. Like, you know, why do we care about the Fed? Why do we care about Jerome Powell? Okay, well, Probably everybody, when they think of the Fed, they go, oh, well, the Fed sets the interest rate because you'll you'll hear in the news uh, the the Fed is going to raise interest rate by it's usually like a quarter of a percent. Uh, the Fed is the Fed is going to raise the interest rate by 0.25 percent or the Fed's going to leave the interest rate. Around. If you've heard about the Fed in the news or if you've heard somebody tweeting about the Fed, it's probably in relation to interest rates. The, the When the Fed sets the interest rate, the, the Fed isn't setting like the Fed doesn't set all of the interest rates, right? Mm-mm. Yeah. So they're they're not just going out there and going like, okay, this interest rate is now this, and this interest rate is now this. They have a short term interest rate that they set, and that just affects all of the other interest rates. You know, it's the ultimate domino effect. Yeah. So it just it spreads out. You know, that is the that is that is the starting point for the the effect that it has on on the economy overall. They're setting the interest rates and then that then triples down to the banks and affects the relationship with them. But then that goes down to who? Consumers. Us. Yeah. <laughs> it gives us the ability to tell people, can they can they loan money? Can they borrow money? Can they get a car? Can they get a house? As an employer, can you afford to hire more people? Do you have to let people go? It is this huge full circle that... What the Fed is doing, what those interest rates are, they affect every aspect of our financial life because it is, again, that balancing act of the interest rates and the employment because the Fed is has a great pulse on the economy. And if they see, they want that perfect balance. So if they see that the unemployment rate is going one way or the other, they're going to do what they can to either pull money out or put money in to make sure that we are hitting that perfect balance. So they're the good guys. They're here for us. But when you hear that, you do need to pay attention because it does affect the average shows. It's not just a political or the billionaire people. It's all of us. Yeah. And see, what they do is, so they they don't just go snap and the, the rate goes up. They they target a particular rate that they want to be out there. And then the, the, the tools that they actually use are things like, you know, earlier when I said pouring money into the economy. Well... You know, they can they can literally go out there and buy treasury bills, buy treasury bills, buy back treasury bills to to, and in the process of buying back those treasury bills, they they are putting cash out there. They're putting money out there into into uh, an institution's account. And then that institution, because it's got this additional reserve, it's going to loan more money and interest rates might drop. And so people are out there spending and the economy is on fire and, you know, companies are hiring and unemployment drops. But then what happens next? The economy is heating up. Yeah, it's getting too hot in here. (laughs) It's getting hot in here. So inflation's becoming a concern. Yeah, yeah. So you take money out of the economy. Yeah. So so that's where it's, they're trying to make sure that they cool things off because it's getting too hot. And they'll sell those T-bills and they'll sell... Those those bonds. And, you know, when you talked about the house of cards, this really gets down to the actual what the house of cards really is, is 
America is basically printing money and putting it out there, printing bonds and selling, selling, selling their debt, and they're selling it to all of the other countries out there. So we we need to we need to bring some money in. So we're gonna sell bonds to China, and we've got all of these bonds that China now owes. Well, if we don't pay them, the house of cards collapses. Mm-hmm. So China is interested in us being successful because if we're not successful as a country, then we can't pay the bonds that they own. We can't pay back the debt that they that we owe them. Um, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's an investment vehicle for them because our bonds are a really great investment because they're really highly rated. You know, go back to our bonds episode and re-listen and remember, you know, your treasury bonds are, are some of the most highly rated bonds you can get. Well, we have thrown a lot at you guys. As we said, we just skimmed the surface with this episode. There is a lot that's involved with the Federal Reserve Bank. There's a lot that we can go through and really explain every aspect of this. But we want to bullseye this up and tell you of why this is so important. And what you, we want you to walk away from this episode knowing. So, Court, give me your bullseye. Okay, well, I mean, I think the bullseye on this one is obvious. Jay Powell, or JJ as I like to call him. Uh, Jerome Powell is basically, he's basically He-Man. He's the, he is the master of the universe. Um, he is the chairman of the board of governors of the Federal Reserve System. And he, along with, along with the other members of something that is called the Federal Open Market Committee, make monetary policy decisions that affect us all. And not just us, not just our pocketbooks, but our country, our country's economy, and the entire world's economies. And, and, and it all comes down to him. We, we had all of these people on our list, and, and, and JJ didn't even make our top 10. But Forbes does a list of the most powerful people. The last time they did it was back in 2018. And Jerome Powell, at, in 2018, was listed as number 11 on Forbes' most powerful people. So he didn't even break the, the the top ten of the of the Forbes list, but there's an argument to be made that the stuff that he does, the decisions that he makes, and what he advocates for, have a bigger impact on the world than anybody else. Uh, so echoing off of yours, and then I'm gonna go into my bullseye court. I think that's kind of we all can agree with this that a lot of times the people that are the loudest and most in our face and all over medias and stuff are not usually the ones who are actually doing the work behind the scenes to make things happen. And so what this shows us is Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve, is behind the scenes trying to make a huge difference for all of us. And they're not out there trying to accept the glory and be like, hey, see me, look at me, love me. So that rolls into my bullseye of how you as the average Joes, as you know, business owners, as someone who just has a job, you need to thank the Federal Reserve because they really are putting that balancing act. They've got the dual mandate to try and make sure they are balancing employment and stabilizing prices so they have the best interest of us. They're kind of like the game Monopoly. Think of them as that banker. They're the trustworthy ones. They're the ones that are gonna try and make sure everyone's playing nice in the playground. They're all working together for the common good of the economy. And so you need to care about this because it does affect your ability with getting mortgages, loans, jobs, hiring people, all of it. Bullseye. Bullseye! Katie, there's the closing bell. Ladies and gentlemen, 
You have made it to the end of yet another episode of the Bullcast Podcast. If you haven't already, hop on over to your subscription service of choice and subscribe so that we will just magically appear on your device every Thursday. If you'd like to find out more about Katie or me, go check out our website, bullcastpodcast.com. You can send us questions, give us some feedback, suggest a topic. If you'd like to see some pictures of us, you can see our pictures on the Insta, and that handle is at bullcastpodcast. Or if you prefer, you can see our words on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at bullcastpodcast. And then finally, if you'd like to find out more about where we work, we work at a place called Pickler Wealth Advisors. And if you'd like to find out more about us, we've got some more information on that on that website. You can also find out about our awesome team and our boss, David Pickler. The website for Pickler Wealth Advisors is, uh, fittingly enough, picklerwealthadvisors.com. <laughs> well, I guess I've given you enough to go forth and be merry for one more week. So for now, I'm Court. I'm Katie. And we're done. We're done.